The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. 3.34 here on the 630 Chad Afternoon News. And of course, you know what that music means. Brandon Graziano, it's our weekly edition of The Who. Oh, man, you're a quick uh, quick learner. We're joined now by Rob Roach, uh, the Director of Insight Economics and Research for ATB Financial. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How was, how was your weekend? Weekend was terrific. The weather is beautiful. Can't complain. Yeah, uh, you're, of course, down in Calgary, right? And that, uh, well, yeah, we're getting nothing but pouring good on, rain. It was good on Saturday. Was it? I slept through most of Saturday. Saturday was good. Today and yesterday, hmm. meh. All right. Could it be better? Well, we won't get you to forecast the weather because you're more uh, your your area of expertise is more the economy. You want to talk about the legalization of marijuana and the impact? Where did you want to jump off with this? Well, I think it's uh, and I think it's an important topic because whether you're for or against uh, the legalization uh, of marijuana, it is coming to Canada next year, and so I think it's a good idea just to kind of wrap our heads around what some of the economic impacts might be and. And what I think the place to start is to recognize that there already is um, an elaborate sort of uh, marijuana industry. So some of the studies suggest that, you know, um, there's going to be billions of dollars of economic activity related to the legalization, but that activity is largely already happening. We're just able to track it. So I think that's an important um, thing to start with. So wait a minute. Let's go back and just sort of uh, dissect that a little bit. So. You're suggesting, and and we get these calls when this topic comes up on radio or on Ryan's show, and I listen to the calls that he gets. The the fear. I, I mean, I'm I'm a almost a six year old guy who pays taxes. So when I hear legalization of marijuana, all I'm thinking is cut the deficit. That's all. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about running out and starting to smoke marijuana. I'm not worried about my kids suddenly doing anything. But those are the concerns that we get. That. Well, legalization, of course, revenue aside, is going to encourage all these people. You're suggesting that studies say the opposite. Well, that that actually is sort of the unknown in all this. We know that uh, you know, there's an underground economy now, people buying and selling marijuana, and some portion, maybe a large portion of that, will come out of the shadows. We'll be able to, you know, count in our uh, GDP calculations, you know, what percentage of GDP, um, and it'll be small because it's. You know, it's like many elements of the economy, it takes a lot to add up to a lot of money. Um, but the big question is sort of will, will the legalization, the removal of some of the stigma, um, encourage more people to, uh, to use marijuana and then sort of grow the, grow the, the, the customer base? That's an unknown. Um, some people suggest, one study I did see suggested that uh, about 17% of people may try it who haven't already. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be buying it on a regular basis. So um, the experience of legalization in places like Colorado, where it has been legal for a while, it's inconclusive sort of how many new customers have signed on. It looks like, to this point, um, it's mostly people who were already using it, um, who moved it in, moved from buying it illegally to buying it um, legally. Hmm. And what about the other side of that equation? What's the revenue been for Colorado? Well, this is the one area that, that is quite clear, is marijuana currently is not taxed because it is an underground trade. Um, there'd be some indirect taxation, you know, if you're a marijuana dealer, you might take your money and go and buy milk and be charged GST, but um, the, the product itself is not subject to taxation. Once it's legalized, all the legal trade 
will, of course, be uh, like cigarettes. There will be a tax on the purchase. There will be a tax on, on top of that for the sin tax that we charge on things like uh, alcohol and, and cigarettes. Um, so that money will flow into government coffers. And as you mentioned off the top, Andrew, that is a clear, um, that's new money for the government. That will be money they were not collecting that can go towards things like programs and deficit. Um, so Colorado, a, a state in the, in the U.S. that's a little bit bigger than up, so 5.4 million, about a million people more than Alberta, they collected about $121 million um, from uh, the marijuana tax uh, uh, in 2015. A lot of wild cards, though, the provinces haven't set out what their taxation rates will be. They tend to tax things like that a little bit higher in Canada, so we'll probably see something in that magnitude um, in terms of tax revenues here in, in the province of Alberta. So I know you uh, economists and insightful people like to talk about uh, trickle-down effect, uh, economic trickle-down. Is there a trickle-down effect potentially for the legalization of marijuana? And I'm thinking in terms of possibly um, marijuana tourism? Well, this is, this is another one where it depends how much um, uh, of that underground activity comes out in, into, the, into the legal sphere. Um, for example, right now, if you're selling marijuana, you probably don't have elaborate packaging or a, or a storefront or a sign. Um, so that activity would be neat. So you might hire someone to make a sign for you and, and, and so forth. Uh, but in terms of things like tourism, one of the things that Colorado benefited from was not every state in the U.S. Um, has legalized marijuana, and, and Colorado was one of the early, early uh, adopters of that. So people were coming there in quite large numbers, apparently, to purchase marijuana legally, either for medical or recreational use. In Canada, we won't see that to the same degree because it'll be legal across the country. But we might get some people, I don't think it's going to be a lot, coming in from other places around the world. Um, if they were already coming here, I think, they, and they might uh, imbibe in some of the legalized products, but I'm not sure we'll be a destination. But it should increase tourism a little bit. Uh, Rob Roach joining us, Director of Inside Economics and Research with ATB. Uh, now, Rob, I mean, it's not just uh, the $2.4 billion uh, that uh, Colorado has generated here. It's also generated uh, jobs, to my understanding. Yeah, one of the, one of the studies on, on the situation in Colorado is they estimate about 18,000 jobs created. So nothing to sniff at. But again, some of those jobs, people were um, relying on the underground trade um, as either dealers or people who transported the drugs. So it's not like there's 18,000 new jobs that were created, but some of those would have been, and that's what, it'll take some time, it'll take a few years once legalization um, happens here in Alberta and Canada, for us to get a better sense of how much of that is to be net new activity. And I think there'll be some. There'll be some new activity, um, but not as much as maybe some of the numbers that have been thrown around suggest. Now, when you say that, uh, I guess those 18,000 jobs already existed, are these people that I guess they're just kind of legitimizing themselves, like they're going from, you know, the legal trade into the legal trade, and that's what's creating the jobs? Well, that's another sort of unknown, is, is how many people will continue to purchase and, and, and utilize what already is a pretty elaborate um, growing distribution, growing and distribution system, because to avoid those new taxes. The sense is that a lot of people would like the convenience of not having uh, it's being able to go to a storefront, especially those on the medical side, um, which ha- medical marijuana has been more available to some degree already. Um, so we'll likely see that move out from the shadows, and those will create some new jobs. So not everybody, um, you know, you might now own a dispensary. There'll be people who work there who clean the, the store. 
um, who are receptionists, who are selling. So there should be some new jobs created, and that'll be where we'll see the biggest effect. But it won't be, it's not like we have a completely new product that's never been um, bought and sold before. And that's what I think is important to remember, that it'll be more moving into the light rather than brand new economic activity. So, Rob, we got, we got uh, gener- uh, I guess, $2.4 billion in economic activity. We got $121 million in tax revenue. We got 18,000 jobs. Uh, all this seems all great. So why do you think that the Canada's premiers have said, no, we need another year before we legislate it? Well, that I think, you know, one of the things is, is, um, that is going on is there is a huge amount of regulatory work to do to take a, a substance, because this is not going to be just um, like buying apples at the grocery store. There's going to be a lot of regulation around it. Uh, it's restricted in terms of age. It's going to be restricted to where you can buy it. They have to figure out a tax regime. And you can say they can go faster. But I do um, appreciate that there's actually a lot of work to be done um, to create all those regulations around this, what will be coming from the underground economy into the mainstream economy, and all at once. That's another thing. It's not something that's going to evolve over you know, decades like some products. It will happen sort of overnight. So that's why I think there's a lot of work to do, and you know, you can hold uh, our various governments toes to the fire and say they go faster, but there certainly is a lot of effort to get into making the regulations work. No kidding. Rob, great conversation. Thanks for taking the time to have it with us. We'll talk to you next week, or is it uh, the other guy? You'll have, you'll have Mr. Hurst back next week. <laughs> All right. Look forward to that as well. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you. All right, take care. That's Rob Roach, Director of Insight uh, Economics with ATB Financial. Uh, want to apologize for the quality of the audio. I'll have to tell Rob next week, uh, phone on a landline. That was obviously a cell phone. Sounded like he was in a bit of a cave. But we'll work on that for next week with Todd Hirsch. All right, so you know what? I know that Ryan Jesperson covered this for the better part of two hours this morning, and I know a lot of you tune into the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News for a little... A lighter lighter subject. uh, Yeah, a lighter subject matter and a few laughs, but I think, you know, hard to ignore the fact that I think probably an historic vote took place over the weekend. The United Conservative Party... um, finding itself to exist as the Alberta Wild Rose and PCs agree to merge. Um, Now they have, when we started the show, I had not heard that they had selected an interim leader, but they have now. So Wild Rose MLA Nathan Cooper has been picked as the interim leader of the new Alberta UCP. Uh, He's a former Wild Rose House leader. And he'll lead the new United Conservative Party until a permanent leader is chosen by the new party and, that's and its happening members. October twenty eighth, exactly. Where it be happening, and so they've already announced. Uh, Jason Kenney and Brian Jean have already announced that they are going to be running, as well as uh, longtime PC strategist Doug uh, Schweitzer. Yeah, Wildrose finance critic uh, Derek Fildebrand also considering a run, but he say he says he's going to wait until the rules of the race are set before announcing his plan. By the way, if you want to hear audio on all those conversations, I think minus uh, Fildebrand as well, but even including Richard Starkey, mm. uh, you can just go to uh, 630ched.com. It's all yeah, up on Ryan's show there. Uh, Richard Starkey uh, caused a bit of a stir this morning on Ryan's show and others uh, declaring that he would not support the new party, that he was basically going to move away from it, and I guess... And to our understanding, what's going to happen is that if he doesn't support it, then he's going to have to run as an independent. Right. So, I, is y- that going to happen? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you know what? And I know uh, the reaction when he was talking to Ryan this morning was there was a lot of people 
who criticized him for that. Well, you know what? He didn't win the game, so he's taking his football and going home or whatever. Because, of course, he was a candidate for the PC leadership, but an unsuccessful candidate. Um, I'll just say this. Um, I know Richard Sarkey. I wouldn't consider us to be friends, but I know him. I know of his work, and I've known of things that he's done while a member of the Conservative government, and specifically in the area of uh, amateur sports. And I think he's a terrific MLA. So whatever he decides to do is up to him. That's I'm, who am I to judge. Uh, but I will just say that I will not be a party to piling on because I think the guy's done an incredible amount of good work for the province of Alberta. And if that's where his conscience takes him, then that's where his conscience takes him. And ultimately, that's up to the people of Lloyd Minster of to, uh, to bring him back in. Where or he is, to, uh, right, what where he is usually uh, popular. So let me, uh, let me ask you. Ask me. Were you surprised that it was an overwhelming... I mean, Wildrose supporters voted 95.4%. Uh, conservatives, what, 95%? I mean, it was that's a landslide. Were you surprised? No. And the reason why I'm not surprised is because it just seems like lately it's just been... It's not necessarily a campaign to make Alberta and govern Alberta a little bit better. It's just an, we don't want the new Democrats in office and this is our best option kind yeah. of campaign. I think you just nailed because it. Because so. at this point, it, it, like there's, yes, there have been some, you know, uh, I guess plans that have been outlined out of, out of each, you know, leadership candidate as to what mm. they're going to do. But at this point, it just seems like we just don't want this happening, and this is our best option right now. And we clearly couldn't do it as either PC or as Wild Rose. And so this is our this is our only fighting chance that we have. Mm. Against, it's kind of poetic, uh, the to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's sort of poetic because. And first of all, I'll say um, I was surprised. Um, in fact, I thought the vote would fail. I honestly did. So I was just dead wrong. Uh, but then I never thought the NDP would be elected with the majority government, so I was dead wrong on that, too. We're in a new day and age. Right. But it is poetic, in a way, um, because a lot of people, and we've talked about this to exhaustion, so we won't go into it again. A lot of people don't see their vote for the NDP or the vote of those around them for the NDP as a vote for the NDP at all. A lot of them see it as a vote against an entitled government that had lost sight of where it should be going for 43 years. And for both right-wing parties, it was a wake-up call. Right. So on the other side of it, I feel like this is not necessarily a vote for unifying a party so much as it is a vote against the NDP. I think this is, as you just described, people thinking, well, I'll sleep with any devil to get rid of that one. So it's sort of funny that Again, I sort of characterize it as a vote against something as opposed to necessarily a vote for something. But you're right. I think that most conservatives would agree that their only hope of getting rid of the NDP, which is at the basis of this whole thing, is a united party. And the question is, though, is it going to do do conservative members or even wild world members think that this is going to fix the problem? If (laughs) suggesting that there even is a problem to begin with. It's funny, uh, Sarah Hoffman, she's the deputy premier, of course. This is what she said about it. As far as as the uh, UCP forming, she referred to it as a black wedding. She said, this weekend was really about the parties being ready to embrace the worst in each other. Um, 
Uh, it said that Wild Rose are signing on to a PC party famous for its self-serving entitlements, and the PCs are linking up with a Wild Rose team determined to make life worse for Albertans by promising budget cuts estimated to run into the billions of dollars. So I would say the fight is on. <laughs> I'm assuming they're prepared for it. Though. Yeah, the groundwork has been laid. The fight is on. Uh, I'm Now, who's going to be leading the charge? We'll find that out right. in October. The timing's pretty good because... When you win a leadership race, there's momentum that comes with that. Uh, do you recall when uh, Prentice won the leadership race? And there's momentum that comes with that. Now, in my opinion, he made a grave error in calling an election. And I don't know I'm not alone in that because I think that stopped that momentum. It absolutely, it absolutely ground it to a halt because people were like, great, we've got a new leader. He's going to get rid of the entitlement. He's in charge and at work and he knows where to park and everything's good to go and then one of his first things after he got rid of some low-hanging fruit like selling airplanes and not closing a, 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 a facility in Red Deer it, it was let's have an election and I think people just went duh again right like we duh. just did one kind of thing crazy so but uh, so yeah. yeah the timing should be good for this a new leader gets chosen platform gets announced and let's be honest, the conservatives... And you, and you like, what, like two years until the election? I less, guess once that's less than, uh, yeah. less than two years, yeah. Right, so the conservatives, whether they be Wild Rose or PCs, are not new to politics for the most part. The Wild Rose are those who splintered away from the PCs. So they're like PCs plus, right? They're like Google plus. So they're PCs plus. So they're also familiar with how what you have to do to get elected. The problem has always been and would have continued to be had they remained separate, they're always going to split the vote. So now they're not. So these guys are pros. They'll get themselves elected. What will be interesting will be, A, who leads them. Of course, Brian Jean or Jason uh, Kenny, the or Phil DeBrandt or your lawyer or down Schwitzer. in yeah, yep. Calgary. But the other will be what their platform is, uh, specifically on social issues. And I think the challenge there is, um, I think most politicians have learned, as have talk show hosts, that if you want to fix serious economic problems, you need to get elected. And in order to get elected, you need to be moderate on social issues, but you can't be too moderate so as to lose your base, right? Which is what happened to Daniel gonna, Smith. Yeah, exactly. People are going to vote you in, right? Right. So it's a fine line you got to walk to get yourself into power, and then you can make the changes that you want well, to Well, at least change. you could try to propose the changes and right. hopefully make the changes. Right. And then the, uh, the last piece of the puzzle that I'm curious to see is that Basically, this merger is all about a new party. So it's all about the new ideas, the new Yeah, I was going to say, is that new values, though, when it right. comes to the new party? And is it new members? Because who's going to run in these various ridings? Well, now you're combining two, yeah, two previous candidates. Right, you'll have party. candidates yeah. who ran against each other, some successfully, some not. Um, you'll also have candidates who are still seen, as Richard Starkey like, likely was, as part of the old regime, right? So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And then I guess, you know, if there's one more piece of the puzzle, here's the other piece. Those who can't live with social moderation in a new United PC party, where do they go? So do they go all the way to the NDP, or is this going to be a big bonus for the Alberta party, which is seen to be, generally speaking... Right in the center. Yeah, right in the center, uh, economically um, conservative, socially moderate. So will this be a big boost for them? And then will they become the party that splits the vote? 
they could find themselves in the exact same problem that they had when the PCs and the Wild Rose split. You're going to have a third option that could easily split votes, depending on how many of those candidates. Because I'm also going to assume there. that David's uh, like the Liberals and mm. Dr. David Swan are not going to be. Oh, I'm sorry. I always forget the conversation. Liberals. Yeah, certainly uh, any party is going to take votes, right? So, yeah, the Liberals will split some votes as well. But I really feel like for a conservative, the Liberals and the NDP are not an option. So then your options, and you know, you all have your own options. You do as you like. I, I just think that a lot of people will look at this and say, okay, I'm going to live with the Alberta party then. I'm willing to move left. I'm not willing to go as far as I see this new party to be. I'm willing to go left, but not far enough left to hit the Liberals or the NDP. And like I say, that could cause a surge in the Alberta party. And they're certainly tweeting up a storm the last two days. I'll tell you that right now. The welcoming, Alberta party? Yeah, welcoming new members and reaching out to uh, MLAs. So well, Good for them for getting an, an opportunity, <laughs> yeah, I guess. They right? see the opportunity. But at the same them. time, though, what we're going to do right now is that we're going to archive this show. Okay, we're going to play it back okay. for you in late October. Right. And we're going to see exactly if your prediction came true, or maybe not necessarily October, maybe in about two years or so. Let's not forget that I'm the guy who predicted Daniel Smith would cross the floor and join the Conservatives, and everyone called me crazy. And then a year later, it happened. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.